So church, can you take your Bible, please, and, and meet me in Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22. As I mentioned, today we have the joy of dedicating two young children to the Lord. Um, I'm assuming we're dedicating two children. Yeah, okay. There we are. Okay. Whew. We have the joy of dedicating two young children uh, to the Lord as Patrick and Michelle Dupe uh, bring their daughter Isabel and Andrew and Sarah Brown bring their son Jack. Today is just a very special, very uh, memorable day for the Dupe and Brown families. And because what I want you to know is because child dedication occurs in the context of church and because the church is family, it's also a very special, very memorable day for all of us uh, and also part of building a community for the cause of Christ. So I just want you to know that even if you're young or single or without children or if your children are older and out of the home, I truly believe this morning's service still applies, and I've been praying for you this week, as well as for these two families, uh, praying for all of us as a congregation, that, you're, uh, that you would be encouraged in your faith, uh, and then also praying just for our collective dedication to the Lord. Uh, whenever we do child dedication, I like to briefly explain was it, what it is and isn't. Uh, first, it isn't salvific, or, or that means it does not save. Children, like adults, are saved to God solely on the basis of, um, of, their, uh, of God's love and grace and their faith uh, in Jesus Christ, their own faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, though these two young ones will be dedicated this morning... Uh, as an act of faith on their parents' part, we still long, don't we? We still long for both Isabel and Jack to trust in the Lord on their own accord. Which means that dedication is not, um, is not akin to baptism because baptism is a, is, a, is a sign or an expression of one's faith. It's an outward sign of what God has already done in the heart. The word dedication means uh, devotion to a particular person or purpose. Child dedication, then, is the act of devoting our children to God and to God's purposes. Uh, it's pledging to parent them by faith in God. In fact, I, I think we could say that child dedication is more about dedicated parents than dedicated children. Parents who walk with the Lord and therefore bring their children to the Lord. And we have a wonderful Old Testament example of this in Hannah, who upon presenting her son Samuel in the house of God said, I have dedicated him to the Lord. For as long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord. And in the New Testament, we find that even Jesus as an infant was formally presented to God when Joseph and Mary went to the temple to entrust him to the Lord as was customary in that day. So both the Old and New Testament speak to child dedication 
And this morning, I've chosen to consider a passage here from Genesis that captures the essence of it. And the point, I think, of this passage is that because child dedication is an act of worship, parents can offer their children to God uh, with obedient faith, knowing that God is good and faithful to provide. And so let's read this together. Genesis 22, verses 1 through 19. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and and laid it on his son Isaac. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, He said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And so Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. 
Father, we want to thank you for our time this morning. So excited, really. You, you just continue to pour out blessing upon us, and so we're thrilled this morning to be able to celebrate, really to celebrate each other, in particular to celebrate our children, and to grow in faith as parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and, and as a church family. And so we ask that you would speak, us, uh, speak to us this morning from your word and that you would enable our hearing and, and even soften our hearts that we would receive what you'd have for us today. Uh, I would pray, Lord, if I could be so bold, I would pray that you would speak to each individual in this room in a unique way and that you would apply the truth of your word here to each and every heart for you know each and every need. And we look to you in this way, through Jesus Christ. Amen. Church, I want to begin with just a small, a tiny disclaimer. Uh, I realize that this may not be your typical feel-good passage to preach from on an occasion like this. The story of the near sacrifice of Isaac is heart-wrenching, especially when putting yourself in Abraham's shoes, and even in Isaac's shoes for that matter. But as we walk through this account and consider it in light of today's theme, I truly believe it beautifully illustrates what the act of child dedication is all about. And specifically, I believe that we learn that it is a confirmation of love for God, a confession of faith in God, and a call to receive the promises of God. First, it is a, a child dedication is a confirmation of, of love for God. The chapter begins with God testing Abraham by commanding him to offer his son Isaac to the Lord. Now, of course, we know from the larger story of Abraham and Isaac that Isaac was a gift from God given to Abraham and Sarah as a promise to bless them and ultimately to bless the entire world. So understand that when God tells Abraham to offer Isaac as an act of worship, it's not that he condones such things. God is not condoning child sacrifice. Rather, God was testing the depths of Abraham's love. And the test is simple. Who do you love more, Abraham, your son or your God? And church, we are faced with the same fundamental question today. Who or what has that place in your life that's reserved for only God? Who or what has, uh, has hold of your deepest affections? You know, idols come in many forms, and none of us are above the risk of idolatry. People make an idol of sports, music, entertainment. We idolize celebrities. What begins with just uh, a healthy respect and even admiration for certain individuals can easily, easily become something more, something unhealthy. We make an idol of money <clears throat> and the prestige that money brings 
and the things that money can buy. Idols aren't just inanimate objects made of stone or wood or gems or precious metal. Good things, listen, good things, even gifts from God can become idols if we're not careful. And if we're not careful, even our families can become sources of idolatry. And my own personal opinion is I think granted I'm biased I've grown up in this country but I think we as Americans are particularly susceptible to this. Husbands look to their wives and wives to their husbands to provide what God never intended them to provide. Listen, contrary to popular thought, your spouse was never intended to complete you. Only God can do that. And in the same way, children, these, these, these precious gifts, they bring unbelievable joy to a parent's heart. And the scripture says, behold, children are a heritage. They're a gift from the Lord. They're a source of blessing from God. But if we love the gift more than the giver, we've missed the point entirely. Parents, Parents often try to find their identity in their children. And I know this is true, not only from what I've observed, but because I'm a parent and I've been guilty of it. The Bible teaches that we have basically two options when it comes to finding our identity. Two places to look, either vertically or horizontally. We will either look to God, our creator, or to created things. The problem with looking horizontally to, is that created things were never intended to take the place of the creator. And therefore, they are incapable of truly satisfying our quest, our search for significance. So parents, if you are not looking to God for your identity and resting in his grace and in his love, you will look elsewhere and in particular, you will be particularly susceptible to looking for your identity in your children and you will even unintentionally, you will place upon them a burden they cannot carry because the expectations and demands of that are far too heavy. Trust me, trust me, no one, no one measures up to their picture-perfect Christmas card. Abraham's life was far from perfect, but his example here in Genesis 22 is a good one. Because when put to the test, his love for God surpassed his many other loves, including his immense love for 
for his son Isaac. And I just want you to remember how much Abraham cherished Isaac and how, how, how long he waited for Isaac's birth. So you can only imagine how deep was his love for God. Jesus once said that the greatest thing, the greatest thing, is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love him with everything you have, with everything you are, meaning that God is to have that central place in your life. And that he asks this of us is good on his part because, because he's the only one capable of meeting the expectation. Only he can ultimately fulfill our human longing to love and be loved. Parents, let's not make idols of our children. I have five children whom I love more than life itself. But the very best thing I can do for them the very best thing I can do for them is to love God first. Only then can I truly teach them to do the same. Not only is child dedication a confirmation of love for God, it is also a confession of faith in God. Abraham's faith is, is evident here from the start. Just look at verse 5, for, for instance. When they arrived in the land of Moriah, he told the two young men traveling with him to wait while he and Isaac went on ahead. And he said, stay here, and I and the boy will go over there and we'll worship and we'll come back again. And those words, we will come back again, reveal that Abraham expected that both he and Isaac would somehow return together. That's faith. Verse 8 is also an expression of faith. Isaac sees that they have the wood and the fire in hand, but there's no lamb for the offering. And so he asks his dad, where is the lamb? Now, just let me take a quick aside here. I love how Isaac, don't you? I just love how Isaac knew about burnt offerings and the importance of worshiping God. Like, I love that Isaac's thinking, I see the wood, I see the fire. Hey, dad. Where's the lamb? I love that he knew that. And it's just a reminder for us as parents to teach our children to worship God. That God is worthy of our worship and then to teach our children how to worship God. And so Isaac says, where's the lamb? To which Abraham answers, God will provide my son. Though he didn't know how or when, Abraham believed that God would come through. In fact, Hebrews 11, many of you know that, as that great chapter of faith that lists by name many who demonstrated great trust in the Lord. In that chapter, we find that, that it says of Abraham that Abraham considered 
that God was able even to raise Isaac from the dead. And so as far as Abraham was concerned, the worst case scenario was that God was going to bring Isaac back from death. Now let's not forget that Isaac was a miracle baby, if there ever was one, born to Sarah when she was barren and 90 years old. Abraham was 100 years old when he first held his infant son. So, so do not think that this was easy for Abraham. Put yourself in his shoes and only then can you begin to imagine the incomprehensible pain this must have brought to his heart, right? But still he trusted God and he entrusted his son to God. And and listen, church, it's one thing to trust God for yourself and for your needs to trust him with your own circumstances, that takes faith. It does. There's no doubt about it. That takes faith. But, but, but isn't it true that to trust God for others and basically to entrust them to God, that seems to require even greater faith. Or at least a different facet of faith. Because when it concerns you and your needs and and your circumstances, you probably feel like I do, that at least you have some control. That at least you can somehow, in some way, affect the outcome for better or worse. And because we cling to this, this, uh, this, we cling to a degree of control, this illusion our experience of faith is rarely one of total, total abandonment in God. But to trust God with your child's future, with the decisions they'll make, with the circumstances they'll face, with the people they'll meet, with the places they'll go, That requires whole new depths of faith. And and in the end, it requires a willingness to let go. Parenting is, is like life in many ways, a momentous, risk filled adventure. And like any good adventure, we never really know what's around the next corner. We wonder how days turn into years so quickly. We wonder if we've done enough. We wonder if our kids will turn out okay. And yet when we find the time to pause and reflect on days gone by, we marvel at how God stretched and shaped and transformed us as only He can and how His grace proved sufficient in every situation. Where did the time go? Wherever it is that time goes once spent. Have I done enough? We're not humanly capable of doing enough. But God is. 
Will they be okay? Church, because they are in God's hands, ultimately, even more than ours, that alone gives us reason to believe they will be. In an article titled The Myth of the Perfect Parent, Leslie Fields writes, We are not sovereign over our children. Only God is. Parents, like all tasks under the sun, is intended as an endeavor of love, risk, perseverance, and above all, faith. It is faith rather than formula. It is grace rather than guarantees. It is steadfastness rather than success that bridges the gap between our own parenting efforts and what, by God's grace, our children will grow to become. Offering our children to God is something that all parents must do at some point. Today, it's the Dupe and the Brown families and little Isabel and Jack. But there are people in this room who are still learning how to let go of even their adult children, understandably so. This applies even to those who don't have children because faith is ongoing and the difficulty of trusting God in hard times is universal. Abraham built an altar to the Lord, a place of worship, and then basically chose to give Isaac back to God. This was his crisis of faith. Would he take matters into his own hands or would he trust God to provide? And God did provide. God stepped in to stop Abraham and save Isaac and, and in so doing he saved Abraham also. And Abraham lifted his eyes and he looked to see God's provision. I just love this application. Sometimes you've just got to lift your eyes and look for what God has done and what God is doing and what God will do. Sometimes, sometimes despair gets the best of us and our heads are down and our eyes are closed to the graces of God that are there in our midst. If we could only lift our eyes and see them. It was as he lifted his eyes and he looked that, that Abraham saw the ram and he offered it instead of Isaac. And he named that place, the Lord will provide. And his faith in the Lord, as imperfect as it was, his faith remained intact. Child dedication is a confirmation of love for God and a confession of faith in God. Third, it is also a call to receive the promises of God. As this episode draws to close in verses 15 through 19, God confirms his covenant with Abraham. God initiated their relationship in Genesis 12, and he promised that, that all the families of the earth would be blessed through Abraham. God restated the promise in Genesis 15 when he entered into a covenant relationship with Abraham. God established a sign of the covenant in Genesis 17. And here in Genesis 21, he confirms it yet again. And the point is that God is faithful to his promise. That's the point. God is faithful to his promise. And, 
And if we push it just a little bit further, God, is, God was faithful to his promise even when Abraham and all who followed Abraham were not. That God swears by himself. He says here in verse 16, by myself I have sworn. That God swears by himself is, a way of, is his way of saying that his promises depend not on our ability but on his trustworthiness and unchanging character. Does our obedience matter? Of course it does. And our, and, and our children are blessed by it. Isaac was blessed through his father's obedience. Our faith and the example of faith that we set for our children matters. It matters tremendously, but they must come to a place of faith themselves. And in the end, we must recognize God's larger plan and trust in it more than our perceived ability or inability to parent well. In fact, the more we rely on God, and the sufficiency of His grace, the better parents we become. Speaking of grace, the covenant here has two parts to it. The first focuses on Abraham's blessing, while the second concerns blessing that extends to all the earth through Abraham. To Abraham, uh, God promised a family, specifically a family of faith, referring to the people of Israel and through Abraham's line and the offspring of Israel, specifically through a single descendant who would come to mediate God's blessing, God's grace would extend to all nations of the earth. Generations came and went from the time of Abraham's encounter with God on Mount Moriah. Eventually, King Solomon constructed the temple on that mountain, which by that time was located in the city of Jerusalem. And still more generations after that, the Lord Jesus would be crucified on a hill just outside Jerusalem. So when verse 14 declares, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided, who but God could have known what grace he had in store? Genesis 22, church, is therefore pivotal to our understanding of God's redemptive work in our world because this entire scene points to another in which he offered his only son, his eternal and divine son. And yet unlike this story in which Isaac was spared, Jesus was not. For Abraham, it was an altar where God and he met. For us, however, it was the cross of Christ. For on the cross... God provided a lamb of his own. And Jesus, the lamb of God, substituted himself in our place. So this account of Abraham and Isaac foreshadows Christ and leads us to the good news of the gospel of God's grace. We all need the gospel. Because we all bear the mark of original sin.
parents are terribly affected by sin. And they're raising children who are terribly affected by sin. But the gospel assures that God's grace is enough to pull us out of the muck of sin into a glorious life in Christ. What we need today are gospel-centered lives that are built upon the truth of God's promise in Christ, which means that we also need gospel-centered parents who look to build into their child's heart a recognition of their need for Jesus, in which His love for them is met by their love for Him. Lauren went downstairs. You may have just seen her. She went downstairs to gather our children and bring them up here for this portion of the service because they need to hear this too. They need to hear and see their fathers and mothers and others in the church responding to God's word, responding to God's grace, and they need to know the importance of responding to it themselves. Child dedication, then, is a confirmation of love for God, a confession of faith in God, and a call to receive the promises of God. And so as an act of worship, as an act of worship, we can offer our children to the Lord with obedient faith, knowing that God is good and faithful to provide. Amen. Father, we want to thank you for our time in the scriptures this morning. And I pray that the three things you've brought forth from this passage today would just be impressed upon our hearts that in each one of us there would be a confirmation of love for you I pray that in each one of us there would be a confession of faith in you and I pray that in each one of us there would be that we would hear this call to receive these promises from you so do this, we pray, for our good and for your great glory. Amen.